0: cannot be shaken and as God shakes his his church everything that is not of him falls off are you with me and when i read this word it resonated deep in my heart and i want to just throw it out there and let you consider what i believe God is saying and what we need to in this time of change we need to hear his voice not our own voice amen it says this it's called two pathways Two pathways. And she says, As I was praying about the next season, I felt strongly that what is coming is not a new season, but a whole new era. A time which is more significant than any other time on earth, in terms of the church being shaken into the purposes of God. Seasons will merge as we move forward. Just as the seasons on earth are being mixed up, and weather patterns are surprising forecasters, so the church will begin to be unsettled as the winds of change begin to blow on all that is known. At the start of this time, I saw two pathways opening up before each child of God. One was a flat path called known, and the other was a steep and winding path called unknown. Along the first pathway were many words of men, and the way ahead from the beginning of this pathway seemed to be clear, with a clear destiny or destination. Many voices could be heard discussing the best way to walk along this pathway, But along the second pathway, there were many words of the Lord. The way ahead for this path twists and turns, and it's only possible to see a short way ahead. One voice can be clearly heard amidst the stillness and the relative silence along the path. I knew that both pathways were costly to build on, And costly to walk on, and everywhere there were many places at which a toll must be paid in order to go on. The starting point is the same for both paths. They joined together at the beginning, and it was possible to start with one foot on each path. But then they widened sharply, and the only way to make a step forward was to choose which path to take. Each path was diagonally opposed and was almost impossible to see the other path once the first steps were taken. Each step on both paths required choices. Life choices, relationship choices, position and place choices. Once the first steps were taken, there was no more opportunity to have a foot on both paths as one path is the way of human choice, and the other is one of abandonment to the leading of the Holy Spirit. However, the Lord was present on both paths. He was close to all who were walking on each of the paths. I'm going to say it again. However, the Lord was present on both paths. He was close to all who were walking on on each of the paths. Once a decision was made, and a path was taken, it was almost impossible to view the other path. This was the grace and the mercy of God to avoid confusion and judgment among the people. Also, once a path had been chosen, it was almost impossible to turn back. Both paths had the presence and purpose of God on each side, but they were different. Both paths had the presence and purposes of God on each side, but they were very different. The known path will be for those who have faith to do great things for God. Those who take this path will find that they get what they have faith for. Much success will be evident, and the Lord will be present to speak wisdom to whoever will hear Prophetic voices can be heard on this path, and they are true voices. Those who have seen what the Lord wants to do, and many of the saints on this path are courageous and confident in the Lord, eager to serve Him, and willing to pay the price to see God's will done on earth. The unknown path looks different. Everyone on this path starts off on their faces empty of all confidence in their own ability. These people have faith in God, but have been brought to the end of their own strength. All old vision and dreams have become meaningless to them as they realize that this is a new era and they have nothing in themselves to bring. Badges of successful from the past, though they are valid and true, are irrelevant for the new path, Each one on this path is aware of great weakness in their own ability. They start walking almost like they are crawling, flat on their faces, holding on to hope in the strength of Christ. Few voices can be heard at the start of this path, and there's only one prophetic voice to be heard at the beginning. It's a simple phrase repeated over these prostrate saints. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. Two paths lay before us, known and unknown. The unknown where the Holy Spirit is totally in control, the known where people work hard to serve the Lord. Both paths are populated with God's children. Both paths are populated with God's children. The starting point for the unknown path is realization, recognition, and relinquishment of any vestige of self-reliance, expectation, of, or, or, or ability to do anything in human strength. This starting point is not a choice. It's a position. It's where yourself is at an end. There's personal bankruptcy, a crushing, crashing from self, weakness, wretchedness, blindness, a poverty of spirit. It's helpless, but not hopeless. There's a stillness, a silence, not even sighs or sobs, for these have gone. At this place, sighs are really too deep to be uttered. The last breath of confidence in self is expelled. Leadership on this path will be sacrificial to God and to man. It will be to release people. A new kind of church will emerge, built by the Spirit of God and populated by those who have to hear and see what the Spirit is saying and doing. Any other way will be untenable on this path. This is a new era. You can't read about it. You can't learn about it. You can't think about it or talk about it, for it's not like any time before. It requires a place and a position of surrender to human plans, or to God's leading. Each path will be populated across the span of diversity in the church, from Catholic, Orthodox expressions, through to Pentecostal and Charismatic, all coming together by the Spirit of God. This is a time for choices. Many people have been struggling in the past few weeks unsure of what's happening and why they are feeling so unsettled. They know that something is about to change, but they're not seeing the way ahead. The next few months will be a time of significant choices. Even the smallest choice could have great significance. The choices will reflect the chosen path. Let us pray for right choices, courage, and commitment. I don't know about you but when I read that something in my heart just resonates and says Lord you're speaking I want to say this again we don't prophesy in full no one prophesies in full no one has absolute revelation when you hear God speaking to you you are only hearing in part we never have the total picture why? because God wants us each to have each other and together the, the scripture says in Corinthians together we hear the mind of Christ I know this we are in an amazing time of change in this nation, in the church, and economic change, climate change, and in the midst of that, God is changing His church. And we need to enjoy the process. And so, uh, everyone's sounding quiet, and I'm not trying to be intense. It is, a, it is a, I think, a wonderful word. It's a, for me, it's an exciting and a liberating word. I, I, I feel absolutely thrilled and excited. And as I come back from this last trip, I I must say that I am so thrilled about the church and what God is doing through the church, what God is doing in the church, and I I want to say we are living in a very, very exciting time. Amen? The last time I preached was a couple of weeks ago, and I I talked then about change as well, and I said this, that as we go through change, as we go through periods of change, many things are tested. And I focused on three things. I said our relationships, first of all, are tested with each other. Our emotions are tested, how we handle our emotions. And our effectiveness in what we do is tested. Those three things are tested. And what we need to get us through those times of change is a deep, covenantal friendship. That's what we need. I'm um, sorry for those of you that weren't here that you can't listen to the message because we tried a couple of times to record it, but each time that we tried, something went wrong. So we have a new system now on the computer which means that all the messages definitely will be recorded for you to listen on the, um, the web page. Can I just say that you ask you please to use the web page as a, as a reference tool. Uh, Jem told me the other day that since we have putting our, our messages on podcast we are having 30,000 hits per month of people... In one way or another, seeing our web or coming to our address doesn't mean 30,000 people are coming to our web page, but it means 30,000 people are seeing it. And hundreds of people are listening to our, our messages now on a Sunday. I trust that you are one of the hundreds. If you miss a meeting that you use that facility, that's what it's there for, so it's accessible to you, and you can hear what God is saying. Amen. It seems to me that in the midst of a worldwide economic change and a climate change, God is also shaking the church. And over the last weeks and months, there's much been read and talked about, and I see the obvious hand of God in all of this. This, for me, it's very interesting because it's across denominational boundaries. We speak to our friends in different denominations, and everyone is experiencing this unsettledness in their midst. Whether it's Anglican, whether it's Pentecostal, whether it's Baptist, whether it's churches that we work with, whether it's Hillsongs in in Australia, whether it's whatever it is, people are going through change. Why? I said it before because he wants a pure, spotless bride. That's the concern of God's heart. He wants people that place the gospel at the center of everything else. And in this spirit, I've had to look at myself and I've had to say, God, how have I led this church? Has it been with the gospel at the center? Or has it been with church planting at the center? Has it been with leadership at the center? Has it been with worship at the center? And I've had to say, God, arrest my heart and say, Aunt, you got to get back to putting the gospel at the center of everything that you do. And as we put the gospel at the center, the message of grace, at the center of everything that we do, everything else flows out of that place. Are you with me? It's the good news. That's what we preach. That's what we proclaim. The good news. There's so much bad news. I was so thrilled just You know, someone said to me on the on the campus on Friday, I wonder why the the young girls want to get one rose. I mean, you know what I felt God say to me? It's because they're fathers and there's no one in their life that's ever given them a rose. That's why they're so hungry for it. No one's actually just given them a rose and said, you know what? You are amazing. And the little tagline on the rose was, someone finds you captivating. Someone finds you captivating. Not men, but the living God. Amen? And we we could have handed out 3,000 roses if we'd had the bucks and the time. They were gone in like an hour and a half. Someone finds you captivating. That is the message of the gospel of Jesus. That's all we need to put the center of all that we do. In this church, our church is going through a time of transition. The apostolic team that we work with is going through a time of transition. And I hear God speaking clearly into this By the prophetic voice. And I want to ask you this morning the same question that that prophetic word of Christine Larkin asks you. I want to ask you this morning what path are you on? What path are you on? I don't ask that accusingly. I simply ask you, what path are you on? You see, that decision is not just a corporate decision that churches need to take. It's an individual decision that every believer needs to make for themselves. What path are you on this morning, my friends? What path are you on? What journey are you on with the Lord? What is it? Is it the path of the known? Or is it the path of the unknown? I mean, that's, that prophetic word made it quite clear that God is present on both of those paths. But my question is not about that so much as this. What is God saying to you? <laughs> Just that. What, what is God saying to you? And will you lead the Spirit of, let the Spirit of God lead you forward at this time? And in the midst of all this stuff, I want to put another question to you. Why are we studying the Sermon on the Mount? Why are we studying the Beatitudes in the midst of all this stuff? Because that's what we're doing. Well, for me, it's as simple as this, that I felt a year ago, more than that, about a year ago, God speak to me quite simply and say, I want you to study that portion, and this is what I want you to preach through this year. But, perhaps, perhaps God is in control of all things. Perhaps God knows the end from the beginning. And perhaps God knew what this church and this nation would be facing right now and that's why He said to me six months ago, a year ago, I want you to study this portion and present it to the church now at the beginning of the year. i I just throw that out there. Perhaps God is in control of all things. Because I think that God's trying to get our attention through this portion of Scripture because it's central to the new thing that God wants to do with us. It's central. It's the absolute core. It's part of the new era that God wants to lie, lie before, uh, has laid, laid out before us. And if we'll only open our ears, and if only we'll hear with our hearts what He's saying, we'll move into it. You see, in Matthew chapter 4... You know the story well. Jesus is led into the desert. And then the scripture says he's tempted by the devil. And the devil asks the questions that he always asks, if, the, if God is really said, that's what the devil always does, questions God's authority, if God, God is really said, and Jesus replies to him and says it's written, he knows what God has said. And out of, the, out of that place he overcomes. And it says that the scripture says that he comes out of the desert full of power and full of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 17 of chapter 4, it says that immediately Jesus left that region, and He went to Capernaum, and it says He started preaching this message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He came out of the desert full of power, and He starts preaching a message of repentance. In other words, simply change your mind. Change your mind. Start thinking differently. And as he preached this message of repentance, people came from all over. And we're going to read it just now. It says they came from the fires of Syria. As Syria they came. And he preached in the synagogues, and he healed all their diseases. He healed all their pre- depressions, afflictions of their lives, and their sicknesses. And it's amazing, after this time of ministry, where he's had incredible impact, we come to the most famous sermon in the scripture, the Sermon on the mount, and that 's what we study and could it be? can I just ask you another question They're a little bit naughty these questions, but anyway, could it be could it be that in speaking to them, Jesus was not just giving a new set of commands, a new way of thinking, but what he was actually describing? he was actually describing what had happened in their hearts and what was transforming their lives. You see, the Beatitudes are not about what a Christian does, but they are all about who a Christian is. It's a profound difference. It's about who we are in Christ. It's not about what we have to do. And he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we have started already unpacking some of these scriptures. But can I just put this out to you this morning? If we are Christians, we are by our spiritual DNA, what makes us Christian, we are poor in spirit. And the attitude or the posture of one who is poor in spirit is amazingly, it's poignantly captured in that prophetic picture that Christine Larkin gave when she said this, the unknown path looks very different. Everyone on this path starts off on their face, empty of all confidence in their own ability. These people have faith in God but have been brought to the end of their own strength. All old visions and dreams have become meaningless to them as they realize this is a new era and that they have nothing in themselves to bring. Badges of success from the past, though they are valid and true, are irrelevant for this new path. Each one on this path is aware of great weakness in their own ability. They start walking almost like they're crawling, flat on their faces, holding on to the hope and the strength of Christ. Few voices can be heard at the start of this path. There's only one prophetic voice to be heard at the beginning. It's a simple phrase repeated over these prostrate saints, to him who has ears, hear what the Spirit is saying. I wanted to say to you that for me and Helen, as we've led this eldership team, something of the journey of the last couple of years has been God's process of bringing us to a place of complete surrender and dependency on Him. And there have been many times in the past where I've I've tried tried to listen to many voices, men's voices, of where we should be going, what we should be doing. But I believe for, for me, moving into this new era personally, and for us as a church there's a humble cry in our hearts simply to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and so that we can find His way forward step by step as He unfolds His plan and His purpose. And I believe that God will also join us with those that are on the other path. (laughs) Why? Because both Parts are part of bringing His kingdom to earth. We need to realize there's nothing left in ourselves that is worthy except that which God has done in us. And as we become grateful and desperate for that and for His hand extended towards us in mercy, we start to see the kingdom come in us. If you go back to uh, chapter 4, verse 18 says this. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You guys are right. I'm actually very happy to be back. I wish I could be more jovial, but sometimes I'm just not jovial. So you'll just have to give that to me this morning. Verse 18. I just feel, I just feel that there's a weightiness in God this morning. And it's not that I'm trying to be serious. I just feel like God is saying some, some weighty things to us about our future. And I'm very excited about that. I really am. All right? Verse 18 says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee... Uh, He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets, and he called them immediately they left their boat and their father and followed Him. Now while we were away this last week uh, at our team meeting, Helen brought this word for us as a team, but I believe it applies to us as we face transition into the new things that God has for us right now. And just as Jesus came to each of the disciples individually, He comes to each of us and He calls us to follow Him. You know that. And we don't follow any of the plans of men, but we are called to follow Jesus. Just as Simon and Andrew left their nets, which were a symbol of their identity, it was a symbol of their livelihood, it was a symbol of all that they had been, all that they were, they were called to leave those things behind, and the word was that God is calling us into a new sense of identity and significance. A new way of living not holding on to anything of the past or the old. And when James and John left their father's boat, it wasn't about dishonoring their father or being ungrateful for all that he had provided for them, but it was about their future. It was about their inheritance, and to have that future inheritance, they had no other option but to leave those things behind and to follow Christ. Are you with me? Jesus is calling us back to the simplicity of hearing His voice and simply following His every word. It's as simple as that. A word that James brought from His perspective. When we see from His perspective, we see things so much more clearly. If we respond from His perspective, it's so simple. And there's a call to leave behind those things That in the past were useful nets, but now in the new things of God, they'll make us ineffective, they'll make us bound up. And if you go forward to verse 23, uh, we're going to read two two more verses. It says of Jesus, he went through all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel has got to be at the center of everything. Of all our friendships, our relationships, everything that we do, everything we give, our energy to, it's the gospel, the good news, at the center. And it says, healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people, so His his fame spread through all Syria. And they brought Him the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond all the Jordan. As he preached this kingdom, as he preached the good news, this message of repentance, of changing your mind and seeing things from a whole different perspective, from heaven's perspective, from a kingdom of God perspective, there was evidence of that on earth, and people were healed. And all around, from Syria and the Deca- Jerusalem, the Decapolis, people came because they wanted to be with Jesus. And it's interesting to me that the Sermon of the Mount describes these people as sick, afflicted, and oppressed. They came to Jesus out of their place of need. And it's into that context that He speaks about what His kingdom is like. Jesus doesn't wait for you to be perfect. Jesus doesn't wait for you to have some kind of heavenly level of success in order for His life to be formed in you. He takes us with all of our fears. He takes us with our brokenness. He takes us with our illness, both physical and emotional. He takes us just as we are, and into that He speaks His kingdom. And as Jesus taught them simply, revelation started to come. They started to understand what He was on about. And as revelation came, faith was stirred in their hearts. And as faith was stirred in their hearts, they began to see the impossible. What they thought was impossible, they began to see with their eyes that healing came. And those that recognized that their poverty and deep need of God, out of that place, a deep hunger, was birthed in them. They wanted to be with Jesus and it didn't matter to them that they had to travel miles to follow Him and to listen to His voice. It didn't matter to them that they had to go way out into the wilderness to hear from Him. They just wanted to be with Him. When revelation of ourselves in the light of who God is comes, it causes us to fall on our knees and worship where once we were kneeling in despair we now just fall in worship. You see, I think that the Beatitudes, I think that the Sermon on the Mount is a treatise on the kingdom. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And each of these attitudes that Scripture describes, as they are formed in us, they are formed in us so that we can fully comprehend all of what the kingdom of God is about. Sounds like a jet about to crash into this building. What is that? As those attitudes are formed in us, we start to fully comprehend what the full extent of the kingdom is. See, that's why I say the Beatitudes are the lenses through which we need to see the kingdom. It's very interesting. I'm just going to carry on. You see, Jesus preached repentance. And what that means is to take on, to learn to take on the mind of Christ. Jesus could have said it another way. He, he could have said, this is what a repentant mind looks like. He could have said that in terms of the, the Beatitudes. He could have said, if you've got a repentant mind, this is what it looks like. And I want to use a paraphrase that Bill Johnson has used... He says this You are happy if you poor in spirit, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are happy if you mourn, for you shall be comforted. You are happy if you are meek, because you will inherit the earth. You are happy if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be filled. You are happy if you are merciful, for you shall obtain mercy. You are happy if you are pure in heart, for you shall see God. You are happy if you are a peacemaker, for you shall be called a son of God. You are happy if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are happy if they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for they so, prophesied, they so persecuted the prophets that were before you. You are happy. So what happens when these new attitudes are formed in us? Well, quite simply, as they are formed in us, we start to receive the kingdom. (laughs) It's amazing. As they are formed in us, we start to receive the kingdom. We receive comfort. We inherit the earth. We are filled. We receive mercy. We see God. We are called the sons of God. Why do we need to see that? Well, quite simply, it's because these teachings of Jesus, are not, cannot, we cannot approach them simply as another set of rules. Jesus is doing much, much more than that. Jesus is showing the impartation of his life into our lives. It's an impartation that comes from heaven. It's imparted here on earth into our lives. So can I ask you some more questions as we finish? And the musicians, do you want to come up, please? I want to ask you, will you hear Will you hear from your heart this morning? Now, I can't force you to do that. I really trust that revelation will come and that the Holy Spirit will woo you. Can I ask you, will you take the path that God has for you this morning? Will you open your heart, knowing that the promises of God to you is that you will be filled you'll be comforted that you'll see him will you start to see through the lenses of the kingdom and let the kingdom of God be formed in you you see that's the part of the new thing the new era that God is taking us into it's not just a new season it's a new era And we will begin to see that new era as His kingdom is formed in us. And as His kingdom is formed in us, we begin to impact the community in a whole new way. So what path will you take this morning? What path will you take? May God bless you.